Exodus chapter 19, 126, and that's on page, I don't know, oh, there, 78. <laughs> okay. Okay. In the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert, in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then all out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. The second reading tonight comes from 1 Peter, chapter 2, beginning at verse 4, and can be found on page 1271 of the Church Bible. So it's 1 Peter, chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in me will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Who are you? Who are we? That's sort of the question you ask when it's Australia Day weekend. Oh, we love that song, don't we? I am, you are, we are Australian. But what does that actually mean? What does it mean to be an Australian? Do you have to be born here? Uh, does that matter? Do you, uh, does it matter if you're eligible to be a citizen in some other country? What does it mean to be an Australian? I thought I should do some thorough research with this sermon coming up. And so a great sacrifice to myself, I gave up my public holiday, my Australia Day, to go do some research in an area more diverse than here and go up and down the coast there seeing thousands of people and how they were celebrating Australia Day. Yes, I went to Wollongong and I rode up and down the coast looking for a place to swim. It was tough. 
seeing how people celebrated Australia, what it meant to be an Australian. What do you think they were doing? Having a barbecue, of course. There weren't enough public barbecues, so people, you know, they bring their own barbecues. They're from all over the world, but they've picked up, this is how you celebrate. Whilst you're having the barbecue, you're probably going to pop down for a swim at some point, or you might have brought your slip and slide and use the hose from your own house, or one of those inflatable pools which you fill up right near the beach. And, of course, you play a game of cricket. What does it mean to be an Australian? The answers seem to be clear. My question tonight is more important. In the end, it really doesn't matter what it means to be an Australian because in a few centuries' time, there probably won't be an Australia and the identity of an Australian will be different anyway. That's how it goes. What matters is, who are we as God's people? That will actually last. Who are we as God's people? And what should we do as a result? That's the question we need to ask at the start of this year. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to know who we are, who we are in Jesus, so that we know how to live as your people. We pray that you teach us that each individually tonight and that you teach us that as a church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God's going to teach us who we are in 1 Peter chapter 2. It's page 1271 in the Red Bibles. Uh, 1 Peter 2 and verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There are so many people and so many ideas in these two verses that it's a lot like one of those huge group photos at a wedding. You know, you've had the wedding service and somehow the photographer manages to gather everyone together in one spot and then stands on top of the electrical box or on top of the church or something so that he can see everyone. And when you get to look at the picture and you see the hundreds of faces in the picture, it's hard to take it all in. And so what do you look for? What is the first thing you look in the picture? You're looking for you. In all those hundreds of people, did the photographer manage to get your face? Did he get your face in all its glory? Did he pick up the beautiful tie that you'd chosen for that day? You want to know where you are. Because there are so many there, and you is what you are interested in. Well, that's what we do in these verses, isn't it? There are so many ideas in these two verses. There's a living stone who's rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him. There's about five ideas. And then there's living stones as well, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, spiritual sacrifices, and it's all through Jesus Christ. Wow. But the thing then that catches our eye that we're most interested in is there twice. It's the word you. Isn't that right? As we read the Bible, we're constantly thinking, where am I? Like a wedding photo where we should be looking at the bride. 
That's the point, actually, isn't it? And if you've got time, have a look at the groom as well. He might be interesting. You are not the point. And I think that's true in these verses as well. Before we look at you, there's a prior question. Not who are we, but who is Jesus? He's the him in verse 4, isn't he? As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to It was Jesus himself who called himself the stone. He quoted the Old Testament as he was about to be rejected by men, abused, mocked and executed. He said, the stone the builders rejected is about to become the stone, the cornerstone, the capstone, the precious stone on which everything else is based. Jesus said he was the stone and Peter heard it. And he picks it up here and he says, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. It's true, isn't it, that Jesus was rejected by men? He is still rejected by men and women today. But there is someone whose opinion counts more, who is in the know more and who determines the outcome more. He was rejected by men and therefore dead. But God had chosen him. He was chosen by God and precious to him. And so death was not the end. He raised him up and seated him at his right hand. Jesus, who is he? Chosen by God and precious to him. Harry Potter is known as the chosen one. Why? because he is mentioned in a prophecy. But you'd have to ask the question, chosen by whom? No one. The emphasis here is that Jesus is chosen by God and precious to God, more chosen than you are, more precious than you are, than we are. Preeminently, Jesus is the chosen one, the precious one. Jesus is the chosen living stone. And that's the question to ask. That's the place to start. Because we get this wrong, don't we? Like the wedding photo where we look for ourselves, we are so consumed by our own lives. If life is going well, we're consumed by our own hopes and plans and the next thing we're going to buy. If life is going badly, if life is tough, We long for it to improve and to change. In our church, we focus on the activities that we're doing, connecting and sharing and maturing and serving and will the property development really happen and all these sorts of questions. But God has a different focus. And at the start of the year, we need to see it and get the same focus. It is not about you, says God. It's about my son who I've chosen and who is more precious to me. So this year I hope that your hopes and dreams come true, that the difficulties of your life improve, that you do get involved in our church more and more and the property development really starts. I hope all those things, but more importantly, I want to see Jesus glorified. And I want to see each one of us 
see that as the most important thing, that he is chosen by God and precious to him. Will you change your point of view and see him and not yourself? If we get that right, actually, if we see who Jesus is, Peter is saying here, that he is the chosen one, the living stone, then it will flow naturally. We will know who we are and what we should do. Do you see that in the verses? As you come to him, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Jesus was the one who came up with the stone thing for himself. But Peter here makes the next step. He makes a daring leap. The living stone, we are like living stones in him, united with him, built together with him. What does that mean? Well, we saw in our Old Testament reading, Exodus 19, that we are a treasure, that God's people rather were a treasure possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and they were to express that by having a spiritual house, real stones that you could touch, built together as a temple, and there were sacrifices and there were priests. But now, Jesus is the living stone and in him we are living stones built together into a temple, a spiritual house and we are all priests offering spiritual sacrifices. You see it again in verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We see who he is and we see who we are. There are so many implications of these verses. There are so many ways that Christians have got this wrong again and again. Christians who think that we still need priests to stand between us and God, that we still need to offer sacrifices to deal with our sin. But Jesus is the priest who's dealt with our sin and we are now all priests. There are so many Christians who think that there are spiritual buildings today. You've got to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem or there are special buildings to go to. I've seen people who have travelled halfway around the world on a pilgrimage so they can bow down to a shrine in a building. But we are God's spiritual house here tonight. Each one of us is a living stone. And yes, it corrects us. We might point the finger at Christians who get this wrong. But these verses do something else, don't they? If Jesus is the living stone chosen by God and precious to him, and we are in Jesus like living stones, then what does that say about us? We too are chosen by God and precious to him. It's not very clear in English, but it's there in verse 7. Verse 7, now to you who believe, you are precious, is what it says. Chosen by God, precious to him. You individually are like that. And we are like that. As you Look around, though don't do it because that'll be embarrassing. The people here tonight are not impressive, are they, including you? You're all typically ordinary, just like me. 
nothing special about us. But God in Jesus has made us living stones, worthy of honour like some people think fancy church buildings are worthy of honour. Worthy of honour like the temple really was worthy of honour. And we ought to see each other like that and treat each other with honour. Jesus is God's chosen living stone and so we are God's living stones. It's a reality. But these verses here in verse 4 and 5 actually say this is a building project that's going on. Verse 8, verse 9, sorry, you are God's chosen people. But in verse 5, we are being built. Did you notice that? I skipped over that before. This is an ongoing uh, process. You sometimes wonder, don't you, is there anything actually happening in my Christian life? Is there actually any progress being made in our church? It's hard to see. It's hard to measure. But verse 5 says God is at work. Being built. We are maturing together. But there's a challenge here as well, because how is that happening? We are being built, how, verse 4, as you are coming to Jesus. It's not the first time you come to Jesus when you first become a Christian and put your trust in him and have your sins forgiven. That's a once off, but this is a coming to him. As you continue to see him as precious, as you honour him and obey him, listen to him in his word and gather together with the other living stones, so you are being built into a spiritual house. So I want to ask you tonight, as the school year begins, as you're getting back into the workplace, how are you going to mature this year? What is your plan How are you going to spend time honouring Jesus with your time, listening to his word and praying to our Father? And not just as an individual, but together. For we're not being honed as individual, beautifully carved rocks. We're being built together as a spiritual house. So not only how will you spend time in God's word at home, but will you gather each week with God's people here on a Sunday? Will you be part of a small group, a youth group, a growth group, each week committed to gathering together as one of the stones being built into the spiritual house, honouring Jesus and honouring his house? Will you come to him again and again? Well, who are we? The key question is, who is Jesus? The chosen one, precious to God. In him, we are precious and his house. And that tells us what we should do. How do we bring him glory? Verse 4 again, as you come to him, the living stone, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, God's people would bring a sacrifice to the temple. The priests would offer the sacrifice and to deal with sin and to give thanks to God. That's been fulfilled in Jesus. But, says Romans 12, 
in view of God's mercies of what he's done, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, your whole lives, everything about you as a living sacrifice to God. And Romans 12 says to do it, especially amongst God's people. You're to love them and to serve them. But that's not what it says here. What are the spiritual sacrifices that Peter wants us to do? How do we honour God as these living stones? Have a look at verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Where are we to offer these spiritual sacrifices? Not in a temple, not even amongst God's people in these verses. In the world, verse 11. Among the pagans, verse 12. Just as Jesus was chosen by God but rejected by men, you too, says Peter, are chosen by God and will be rejected by men. They will accuse you of doing wrong. You are aliens and strangers in the world. You don't belong anymore. But you're not to remove yourselves from the world. That would be a disaster. You are to be in the world among the pagans, offering spiritual sacrifices. What are those sacrifices? It's clear in verse 11. Abstain from sinful desires. Live good lives. So good that these people who accuse you of doing wrong will glorify God on the day he visits us. Do you want to offer spiritual sacrifices that God is pleased with? Live in the world. Be among the pagans. We call this connecting, don't we? How are you going at being among non-Christians? Do you have non-Christian friends? Are you growing your non-Christian friendships? Do you see them regularly? Do you communicate with them regularly? Are you connecting as an individual? Are we connecting as a church? And if we are, how are we going abstaining from sinful desires and living good lives? As we saw last week, we're to put to death our sinful nature, and we're to put on our new nature. What is it this year that you are going to put to death so that it's gone? And what is it that you are going to put on so that you are noticeably different? Can you tell that you are any different to the people around you in the world? Can they tell? But our spiritual sacrifices are not just our good deeds, finally. This is the last thing. How how will they glorify God if you just do good deeds and don't say anything? It's like the couple who moved, Christian couple who moved into a new neighbourhood and were really keen to see their neighbours come to know Jesus. And so they were convinced they needed to offer spiritual sacrifices and live good lives among the pagans so that they would see their good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And so they tried to live good lives and watch what they said and how they lived and bring their neighbours bin in at the right time and all those sorts of things. And they really thought they were making progress and impact on their neighbour. 
So they invited them over for dinner. They figured that was another way of being generous and kind and hospitable. And somehow it came up, without them trying at all, that they were going to church that Sunday. And their neighbours said, Oh, are you two Christians? We noticed that you were different. We just thought you were vegetarians or something. But that's right, isn't it? How would people know you are Christians unless you tell them? How would they know anything about Jesus unless you speak about Jesus? How would they know that you care about Jesus if you never speak about Jesus? But don't take my argument for it. Peter says it in verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why did God do this? What is his purpose? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We have so many reasons to praise God. He's called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And we're to praise him directly, surely. We're to praise him to one another when we gather together, but I don't think that's the context here. It's in the world, verse 11. It's among the pagans, verse 12. And so it's not just that they need to hear us speak, it's actually the very purpose for which God chose us. If we don't speak, we won't be doing what God intended for us. We won't be honouring Jesus as he deserves. This is hard, isn't it? It's hard enough to live good lives among the pagans when to be different. It's even harder to speak about why. That's why we need to encourage one another. We need to get used to speaking to other Christians about it so that we're used to talking about Jesus and we need to encourage each other. That's what these four weeks of first term are about. As we focus this term on connecting and sharing two of our priorities, and we particularly focus here on Sundays and in our growth groups, on encouraging one another to tell, to speak, to just start talking, to introduce Jesus into our conversation. Why? Because he is the chosen one by God because he is precious to God and precious to us, because we are in him, the spiritual house offering spiritual sacrifices by living good lives and by declaring his praises. Is that who you are? Is that what you want to do? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for making us who we are in Jesus. We thank you that he is chosen by you and precious to you. Father, we thank you that in him we are chosen and precious as your people and that you are building us into a spiritual house precious to you. Father, we want to live out who we are. So, Father, help us to put to death and to put on that we might live good lives. And, Father... Though it's hard, help us to want to speak about Jesus, to speak about what you've done for us in our neighbourhood, with our friends, in our schools, in our workplaces. 
for we want to honour Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.